Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. And tonight we're talking with two of our friends, Mike and Molly Yates. We're looking forward to this conversation. We'll talk about a lot of different things, Reformed theology, maybe paedo-baptism, and if we're really excited, post-meleschatology, who knows? But we're looking forward to it, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Love of Life podcast. Christian education. Because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. And we're back. Mike and Molly Yates are with us uh, tonight. We're really excited to have them on. Uh, about two years ago, Courtney and I went through a personal, I don't want to call it revival, but a, because that word's being kind of thrown around quite loosely as of late, uh, but a bit of a personal reformation in a lot of ways. A lot of the things that we had been thinking and how we had grown up with, um, we started seeing differently in the word. And so uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, we started going to Providence Reformed Presbyterian Church, as we've talked about before on the show. And then um, Mike and Molly came briefly uh, while they were living kind of close to the church. We wish they didn't move. They're in Iowa now, but we wish them well, and they're doing great. Um, So yeah, we started to talk to them a little bit. And there's a lot of parallel lines, um, a lot of similar crossover in our story, things of that nature. And we're really excited to welcome them. Just a brief introduction. Uh, Mike right now is working as a tax accountant, not a tax collector. He is a tax (laughs) accountant at the moment. And Molly is a stay-at-home mother. uh, she's, She's about to have her second child. And we're very excited to have them on the show tonight. So hello, Mike and Molly. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. Good, glad to be here tonight. Did I yeah. get that? Did I get all that right? Was that? I felt <laughs> well, a little rushed. Not to like you know split hairs or anything. I'm not a tax accountant. I do not have the credentials for that. I'm more like a uh, an accounts manager, business accountant, who really doesn't even have a good resume for it. So I am learning okay. as I go. But yeah, okay. I do not do taxes. But uh, that really, no one probably cares about that. Anymore. So. <laughs> no, that's okay. Just yeah, yeah. that's that's perfectly here, here nor there. Did you do you have anything you want to add when I started talking about our past, you know, reformation two years ago? Anything about that? Did you want to say anything? I don't think so. No. no. Okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> um. So I guess we want to start with let's start kind of at the beginning of your lives, so to speak. Were you guys raised in Christian homes? Or and if you weren't, what is what what is your testimony? And my uh, Molly, you can go first if you want, or Mike, however you guys want to do it. All right, I will happily go first. I was raised in a Christian home, um, a Baptist home. Um, I can't, can't remember a time where I didn't know and love God, and so I think a part of this journey for me started way back then um a lot in how i don't know when you grow up in a baptist circle there's a lot of pressure and a large expectation for there to be this profession of faith and a moment in time that you can look back on of this conversion and as a child who grew up and like i don't remember the first time i heard the gospel i don't remember ever not believing it um the first time I remember hearing the gospel, I remember responding to that and being like, this is, a, this is amazing news that I am a sinner and that Christ died for me. And that if I believe in him. I will have eternal life. Like that's, that's awesome. I'm like, I'm, I'm a part of that. <laughs> and so um, I remember that night, but I don't remember much before it. And I don't remember much after it. And I was probably three or four. Um, with that first recollection of the gospel, um, I wasn't baptized until years later, which is a fairly common practice in the Baptist circles um, to delay baptism until um, there's an assurance that that child's profession was genuine. And so I think a lot of doubt was kind of sowed, sown in. <laughs> 
into me through a lot of the adults around were doubting whether someone of my age could be saved. And so therefore I had a lot of doubt and I was probably 10 or 11 when I was finally baptized and people, the adults in my life were, um, affirmed that I had a proper understanding of the gospel. And then, um, I continued to, to doubt my salvation because at that point it seemed like, did I pray the prayer right? Or was my heart in the right spot? Or how do I know I really understood the gospel and like, I really meant it. And I remember hearing for the first time, it doesn't matter what you were believing then it's what you're believing in now and the gospel now like do you believe the gospel now well yeah I've always believed the gospel though but that's never given me assurance before I mean it has but not really and just having the gospel really explained to me if it's not when you believed or how you prayed or your faith it's you're trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ for your salvation and that was like mind blowing for me and brought so much comfort and so much joy. And it hasn't, I mean, the assurance of my salvation has not been a struggle since that understanding and that development in my understanding of the gospel. Um, my sanctification has continued. A lot of it happened during Bible college, um, which is where I met Michael and we've just been, growing and growing and growing since then (laughs) yeah so i grew up in a um a faithful christian home like i was in church every sunday my grandpa was the pastor of a country bible church for the first like eight to ten years of my life so that's where i was at every sunday uh i grew up in kind of a a church culture where praying the prayer was like the mode of one receiving salvation. So that's what I did when I was like five. Uh, I was like trying to pray kids into heaven on the bus because I was like, man, this is easy. Like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna take the whole bus ride with me. Uh, and and then it was like 10, 12, 14. So like, as I got older, I started to bear some really bad fruit and like. I'm kind of the opposite of Molly. So I kind of grew up in the church, but I actually wasn't probably converted till I was almost 17. Um, and that was when I had a more full understanding of the gospel, that it's not praying a prayer. It's actually uh, faith and repentance. And actually even those are gifts from God, that it's all of grace and it's all his work in us and not anything I've done or can do, including praying a prayer. So uh, and, and then that, that true, full understanding of the gospel, God, you know, through that regenerated me. And I started to almost immediately be convicted over things that I was indulging in as a teenager and uh, just just a 180. Um, and then went to Bible college. You know, I was like, man, I God has wrought this change in my life. I guess that means I'm supposed to be a pastor. So I'm going to go to Bible college. And so, uh, well, I, th- I thought I could just become a pastor. And then I was told that you have to go to Bible college. I didn't even know those existed. And uh, I went and uh, met Molly. We got married. And through that is where the, the theological journey really, I think, takes a turn. But <laughs> yeah, that's kind of our upbringing. I remember you telling us that when you went to Bible college, you thought that you knew a lot about the Bible, but then you learned pretty quickly that there were some gaps in your knowledge. Do you want to share about that? Yeah. So I think Molly had, Molly definitely had more Bible knowledge than I did going to Bible college. I, yeah, I, I knew that a lot of the kids there being like, I had never met someone that was homeschooled when I went. So that was a culture shock. And, and they were like, you know, they brought out their swords when someone told them to bring out their sword, you know, like they had all the Bible tricks from Awana and homeschool stuff. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And <laughs> I, I realized really quickly, like I had, I didn't even know most of the books in the old Testament existed. 
when we showed up, we had to take like an intro test to test our knowledge. And I remember walking out of that thinking, am I even saved? Like it was just, it was terrible. So yeah, I definitely overestimated my Bible knowledge when I went there. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Fun fact. He holds, I I'm thinking to this day, still the record at that school from the worst grade on that like entrance exam to the highest grade, like the most improved in yeah. the four years. Pretty sure he still holds the record on that. And um, it's, it's not like I have the best grade on the exit exam. It's just I had the worst ever <laughs> on the entrance exam. It did fairly well on the exit. But <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what you're referring to. And I think when when we became, when we found out we were becoming parents, there was a lot of, I actually have to think about how my theology is going to be applied to my parenting. And I need to have consistency there. And as I'm working out what my theology would look like to a little person in my life that I'm going to be discipling every single day, I need to know what I believe and I need to know how I view this little person. And if that is, I don't know, I need, I need to understand that well, or else I'm going to be just revert back to what I grew up in, in the style of parenting that my parents had. And um, so there became a, a quest for, what is biblical parenting and how do we how do we figure this thing out called called parenting yeah Can yes you expand on that for <laughs> sure so you were in the ministry then at this time you graduated from bible college yes but at bible when we both went to bible college we were arminian like we were and i didn't even know what that word meant i had never even heard it but like the when somebody presented to me like, oh, God, you know, he has this group called the elect and he chooses whom he wants to choose and and he doesn't choose others. And he has the perfect right in his sovereign will to do that. Like that was an offensive thing to me. I was like, that can't be true. <laughs> you know, that's not the God I know. And that was that was my response. Similarly, that was Molly's response. And we kind of discovered way back then the doctrines of grace together. And we were. I was in my sophomore year and she was in her first of three years. And so we were just starting to get to know each other. And um, I was writing a paper on Finneyism and because I was like, I was an Arminian, but I was opposed to altar calls because of the, the guy that mentored me was like, you know, he was teaching me like the easy believ- believism I grew up in is not biblical. And so I was opposed to altar calls, but didn't have like a theological framework to make sense of that. And through studying and doing research, I came across this thing called reform theology <laughs> and uh, yeah, absolutely rocked our worlds. And then like, we were very resistant for a little bit, but then fell in love with it. So at college, we also went to a dispensational college and it was at the dispensational college that we both realized we were dispensational, <laughs> uh, adopted a more covenantal understanding of the Bible. So fast forward, Right out of Bible college, we get married. We settle down in Illinois. I'm the assistant pastor at this Reformed Baptist church. And that a year later, we find out we're expecting junior, a little over a year. And then, yeah, now that's kind of caught us up to this whole, oh man, we're <laughs> we're mom and a dad now. And uh, we got to figure this thing out. So yeah, we bought a bunch of Christian books on parenting because- right. Yeah, that's what every good Christian couple does when they find out they're <laughs> acting. And that's that's how the whole thing got underway. Okay, so specifically uh, with the theology and the uh, the ecclesiology, the understanding of covenant, how, how did that occur? Was it through specific books you're talking here, through different pastors that you were listening to? Because at the time when you're in college, 
you're dispensational and you're kind of in the box of, if you will, the Baptist world of thinking. Um, yeah. How did you break out? <laughs> or- yeah. <laughs> Great question. So um, it started with a part-time internship that I had at this church that I ended up pastoring out of Bible college. So um, this pastor, is, uh, he he was the one that led me to the Lord when I was in high school. He also invited me, his church graciously basically created this part-time internship for me just to kind of feel it out. And if it went well, the next year I was going to do a full-time internship for my, my uh, graduation requirement. So at this part-time internship, we went through a book on, on covenant theology from a Baptist perspective. Hmm. And I can't remember the name of the guy that wrote it. It is not a very well-known book, but um, this was his way of basically introducing me to covenantal thinking. And, and I just, I didn't soak a lot of it in, but I do remember walking away with the assignment of go read your, go read the old Testament and look for Christ and, and try to understand the first Adam and the second Adam. And just these like basic covenantal, you know, ways of reading the Bible that uh, I had never even thought of. And so that's how it started for me. And then that was like a, it's like a a black hole. Like I just got sucked into then being introduced to the Puritans and being introduced to guys like R.C. Sproul and just these guys that are well-known, you know, reformed thinkers um, that, you know, made it make sense to someone like me who was very unfamiliar with it. And uh, yeah, the Puritans were very confusing for a while still, but I remember thinking like they have insight into the Bible that I don't have. And so that was, um, yeah, that was kind of how we broke out. And then while I was in college, I became known as like the, the kid that probably shouldn't graduate because you have to sign the doctrinal statement of the college and say you agree with it basically to graduate. And so all the professors and students were like, there's no way this kid's going to graduate because he's asking <laughs> questions in class and pushing back on the material. I ended up graduating anyway, but that was, that was the breakout. Uh, and then I, that full-time internship, I actually got to start teaching and preaching according to this new way of seeing scripture that uh, was underway. So not only did it start to become ingrained in me, but I actually, like it really was solidified when I had to actually like teach so by just um, teaching scripture, I was able to kind of solidify what I had been learning by just kind of reading books and soaking it all in. So that was kind of the process of breaking into the covenantal thinking. And then once we got to the church in Illinois, you know, that was the viewpoint of the church. So then we just kind of had the freedom to just indulge basically without any like, you know, real friction against it. Um, yeah. Can you give us kind of a a basic, what is this covenant theology? Give us the overview for listeners who are not familiar with that. Yeah. So um, it's kind of hard to give a basic understanding of it without giving like, I think the opposite viewpoint, which is what most people are familiar with, like dispensational theology. And you may not even know it by those, that term, but it's basically seeing the Old Testament and the New Testament as very disjointed lots of discontinuity in the Bible. Like when Jesus comes, it's, it's very different than the old way and a covenantal way of seeing scripture covenant theology is there's a lot of continuity, right? God has dealt with man um, in, in slightly different ways through time, but all it's one big unfolding story of redemption from beginning to end. And he unfolds that story through covenants in the Bible. And so covenant theology is, you know, a way of reading scripture in light of those covenants and in light of how God is unfolding his plan through those covenants. And it's all centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. So that's what that, what, that's the most succinct definition I can come up with without nerding out and just, Oh, that was good. It. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was that great. Was Although you can nerd out if you want. I mean, that's, okay. all we right. like the details. So I'll <laughs> save that for later. Okay. So, so, so in the story, in your particular position at this time, Mike, you're, you're a pastor at the church in Illinois, 
you're kind of going through this transition, a godly transition, uh, just to define transition here. Um, you're yeah. kind of going through this godly transition of reform theology, covenant, all this kind of stuff. What's and what's what's the reaction of the people you're around? At least a lot of the people, the other pastors. How does that how does that go down for you? Yeah, at college or in Illinois? Um, in Illinois. In college, in you almost didn't graduate. In college, you almost didn't graduate. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go over great. So um, are you talking about in reference to like our studies in parenting and like that transition or just covenant theology in general? I guess just start with covenant theology. Did Was there any um, resistance to that or that was fine? And then where did that thinking then lead you? Yeah, so at the church in Illinois, um, covenant theology was definitely accepted and embraced. And that was, uh, it was actually really awesome to see the church grow in knowledge as they were taught the scriptures. Well, like just to think back in three years time, I saw so many people understand their Bibles better and uh, understand how to live better in so many different ways because they were being taught well. Um, and pastor Don just did a, a great job of that. Um, and he is just a, he loves theology, you know? Uh, so yeah, that was very received well, which is why we, I mean, we loved it there because, you know, there was, there were men and women that really knew how to interpret and apply scripture. Um, now where this covenantal thinking led as we were reading these parenting books was a different story. So we got these parenting books and they were all recommended to us and they were all recommended to us by Baptists but all of the books were by Presbyterians. And, so, and it was like, do Baptists not write their own parenting books? <laughs> yeah. Well, there was one, we were actually at the time studying family driven faith by Bodie Bauckham. So that oh, would yeah. be the, that's a great book really. But yeah. um, so we were reading these books and we were reading parenting by Paul David Tripp first. And there was nothing like dis- that was the only one we read by a Presbyterian that didn't give us like, oh, like didn't give us he- things to think about when it comes to our own theology. Um, but every other book we read began with like. The f- but even then. There's this. Confidence that Trip has when it comes to parenting and there's a certain. I don't know. There's something that he has that we were lacking still. And I couldn't figure out what it was. Yeah. And just like there was this X factor that was missing in our thinking. And I couldn't put my finger on Mm -hmm. why this is different than what we grew up with. This is different than what we know. It's different than what we see practiced around us. But what is why is it different? Like what's missing here that we're not getting? Yeah. And so that became more clear with like, we read um, parenting by God's promises by Joel Beakey. Um, And like the first three chapters is on what is covenant, what is covenant nurture, you know, what's that mean for parenting? Um, And then we started reading standing on the promises by Doug Wilson and that book was definitely the dagger. So Molly actually read it before I even knew it existed. She had the Canon uh, Plus app, highly recommended for anyone listening. Best birthday gift I ever got. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and that, you want to kind of share, you know, you reading that and the process of me becoming aware of it and mm-hmm. finally reading it. Yeah. So... I started diving into these parenting books um, and I knew that the Wilsons were Presbyterian and I knew that there was this like awkward, I don't know, elephant in the room when it comes to the difference between Presbyterians and Baptists, but (laughs) I didn't realize how deeply rooted into the topic that I was diving those differences would be um I grew up listening to a lot of R.C. Sproul and so his was a voice that I 
trusted a lot. And I remember coming upon a podcast of, it was the sermon, a debate, I guess, technically, between John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul. Mm -hmm. And it's them debating infant baptism and and credo baptism. And, And I made it all the way through MacArthur's and five minutes into, um, R.C. Sproul's and I, I shut it off because I was like, I've got enough to think about in those five minutes <laughs> and I'm not ready to cross this bridge yet. He's <laughs> raising a lot of really good points and I'm sure there are answers out there. I just don't have the time to get into them right now. And this was in the first six months of us being married. I came across that and I ended up sh- shutting it off. And I was like, Mike and I will work through that at some point, but not now. And so then I got the Canon Plus app and I started, they have tons of parenting content on there. And so I'm just eating it up. I mean, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So I have a lot of free listening hours, especially with one little one. Um, and so while I busy my hands, I busy my ears and my mind and my heart. And so I was listening to a lot of their books on parenting and starting to realize they have a foundation that I don't have and the standing on the promises I was getting a lot of practical information from a lot like the girls have written books Rachel Jankovich and Rebecca Merkel actually Merkel hasn't written any parenting books I don't think but Rachel Jankovich has written a whole whole handful and so hers were a lot of really practical things but she still had this confidence that I didn't understand when it came to raising her children as Christians. And I started realizing I don't like we're told to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to teach them to pray and to raise them as Christians. And yet, according to my theology, they're no different than the pagan neighbor down the road something's not lining up here, but everything that she's teaching, I see in scripture. And I don't understand how these two things align. And so then Doug had this standing on the promises book. And so I read that one and that one was more theological. I want to say than it wasn't as practical as Rachel's books are. And he said that there was another part to it that he had taken out of standing on the promises so that his Baptist brothers and sisters could benefit from the standing on the promises book. Gotta love Doug. And the other one is (laughs) the other part of that book is to a thousand generations and it wasn't on the app yet. (laughs) And I'm like, you can't just leave me, leave me hanging like this. So I ended up ordering a couple copies of it and asked Michael if he would read it to me or if like we could go through it together. And that was the covenantal baptism side of the parenting aspect of things. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So the part that two sides of the same coin. Right. And the part that Molly didn't mention was I, she had come to me with this standing on the promises book and she was like, this is a phenomenal book. Uh, a lot to think about here, please read it. And uh, I basically said, I don't want to, because I knew that I could tell by the way she was saying we should read this book. There's a lot to think about here that it wasn't so much about parenting and it was more about baptism, you know, because I had been reading this Joel Beakey book that literally forced me to start thinking about the same things. And then I shut it and put it back in my bookcase Um, because I was a Baptist pastor, you know, like I, I know where this leads, you know, so I just did not want to go down that road. And then like a few weeks later, maybe not even that long, um, Molly very graciously, like in a very gracious way, reapproached me and basically said, we should read this book. And I had been convicted about the fact that, yeah, why would I not study God's word? Why would I not study what it has to say about a certain thing just because I'm a Baptist or I'm a Baptist pastor or 
like where where are my priorities so um we read it standing on the promises very quickly together like we knocked that out fast and then went straight into two a thousand generations and um yeah that was that was how the parenting transitioned from let's learn how to be parents to there's something deeper here that we're missing we need to we need to dig into that as well so what did you find from two thousand generations? Tell us what this what all these the, things the that dirty, came out. <laughs> the dirty details. What yeah. are they? Yeah. So so what I what I found first was that I was not as covenantal in my thinking as I thought I was. So I claimed to, to be covenantal in my understanding of scripture, and yet I had more of a discontinuous view of scripture than what I originally thought. And here's how I found that out. Um, I saw the old, all of the covenants in the old Testament as basically a covenant of works, one big covenant of works, like starting with Adam until Jesus, right? That's, uh, and then the new covenant is the only covenant of grace. Um, and if you were to just take five minutes and read up on kind of what people Reformed Baptists would say about the covenants, the majority of them are going to say something like that. Um, Doug's position, the position of the Westminster Confession of Faith and every, you know, reformed Presbyterian thinker is it's all one large covenant of grace with different administrations. Like it's grace from beginning to end. And there's really more continuity than what I thought. So how does that apply to parenting? How did this come out in that book? Well, it came out first by Doug basically opens the book with, um, you know, from beginning to end, God has included the children of believers in his covenant. Uh, that's his basic premise. And he will act, he says in his book, or if you look up some of his like videos, he will say the reason why he baptizes children is because he believes covenantal status equals covenant sign. So because our children are in God's covenant, we should baptize them. We should give them the sign of that covenant. If you look at the Old Testament, it's obvious that was circumcision. Uh, you look in the New Testament, it's obvious the sign of his covenant with us is baptism. Um, so that was the first thing I found was I had to come to grips with the fact I either have to A, reject the premise that my children are in the covenant and admit that they are completely excluded like every other pagan. Or I had to accept that my children are in the covenant and then go from there. And I think that was the, f the most, the thing that really stood out to me that made me say, I don't know that I can remain Baptist was never, I don't think I got to a place where I could never say again, my, my children are just like every other, they're, they're in no way special. They're in no way in a, in a position of grace and God's, you know, in God's world. That was a, that was a big, a, that was the main question that we were answering is, are our children a part of the covenant? And if so, why would we withhold the sign of the covenant? And that was kind of what R.C. Sproul had brought up in that first five minutes. He talks about how for all of time, well, from the law on, I guess, the Israelites had been given this sign of the covenant. And when a child was born, they were given that sign. And now in the church age, all of a sudden our children are excluded and not given the sign. And the Jews don't say a word about it. And they're up in arms about the Gentiles being grafted in, but the fact that their own children are no longer given the sign of the covenant upon birth, like, <laughs> don't you think we'd hear a little something about that? And that really stuck with me. Are our, how could such a big change occur without the Jews saying anything? Like nothing's mentioned about that. And it's a, it's a strikingly loud argument from silence in my mind. And then as we were studying the book, um, by 
Vodi Bakum, I remember thinking over and over and over again, we're saying our children are a part of the covenant. We're saying our children are a part of the covenant. Like everybody who's teaching this, the elders at our church, our pastor, my husband, we're all saying our children are a part of this covenant. And yet we're not. Like we're going right up to the line, but we won't make the statement our children are a part of the covenant. Right. But everything else that we're saying is saying that. Yeah. And so why would we withhold the sign of the covenant if our children are part of it? And, and so a lot of our quest came from trying to answer that. Yeah. And Vodi Bakum's book, just to fill you in, like it's all about family integrated worship. Mm-hmm. Like the whole premise of the book basically is our kids should be, they're a part of our family and God deals with families inside the church. The family is the foundation of the church. And it's like, hang on a second, like all of the family or, or just the ones who have made credible professions of faith and been baptized six years later. Um, And so those are the kinds of things, the inconsistencies that we're sticking at that we were dealing with. And um, Doug's premise also in his book was that God's will is generational faithfulness, which is also Vodi's premise, Vodi Bakum's premise as a Baptist. We should want this generational faithfulness. Um, And that was a concept that, first of all, it bleeds very heavily into your parenting. Like that's, that's Doug's premise is the way we generate that generational faithfulness is through covenant nurture or covenant parenting. And, and here's how you do, excuse me. And, um, it also bleeds very heavily into how you understand our relationship to our children, who they are, who we are to them. What's God's will for us as parents with them, generational faithfulness and and how Doug brings that out into a thousand generations is very important. I think was very important in our transformation. That's good. Yeah, that's awesome. So were there any um, hard things to swallow about what you were reading or just, Hey, wow, we're seeing that we're inconsistent. We need to be consistent. We're great. <laughs> we're going to embrace this and move along. So on the, on the, the content side, it was Either. very exciting. Yeah. So if it's just strictly referring to like what we were learning, it was amazing. Like mm-hmm. my understanding of the Bible has transformed so much in the last year. Um, and and it, it brings a lot of peace when it comes to parenting, like mm-hmm. you're holding a little child and you're teaching them how to pray and you're teaching them that God hears their prayers. And as a Baptist, that wasn't something that I could do because according to my theology, God doesn't hear the prayers of the unbelievers. And I you're not old enough to make a profession of faith. So there's no reason for me to teach you to pray. And yet I'm commanded to. And so there was a lot of joy and just freedom in understanding and having consistency in, from my thoughts to my practice of being a mom. And there's not a whole lot of that going on when your baby's still in your arms, but it brought a lot of joy and a lot of peace in that yeah and also like just there were passages of scripture that i was always very troubled by as a baptist that i didn't have to be troubled by anymore uh or like try to argue my way around so there were all of these passages about the about the new covenant or about being in christ that always perplexed me so much john 15 is a perfect example right abide in me and i in you right and he talks about how Basically, anyone who abides in him will remain in him. But anyone who does not abide in him will be cut off from him and then thrown into the fire, right? These branches, he's the vine, we're the branches. These branches are removed. They were once connected. Then they're removed and thrown in the fire. It's like, okay, well, we know as Calvinists or even as just like faithful Christians, like we can't lose our salvation. So what can that passage mean? Or like throughout the book of Hebrews, there's all these passages about people who profane the blood of the covenant and therefore will receive greater judgment 
than just your ordinary unbeliever. There are people who, you know, tasted of the heavenly things that, you know, the heavenly things and tasted the age to come and taste shared in the Holy spirit. And it's like, how can I mean anything other than losing your salvation until mm-hmm. I understood that there is this category of people in the new covenant that are in the covenant, but are not necessarily saved as a Baptist. They, they were synonymous. If you're in the covenant, that means you're elect. And the reason why we can't baptize our children and the reason why we can't call them a part of the church is because we can't have any assurance that they're saved. They're either in or they're out. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but this new, this, these books put together pieces of the puzzle that helped me understand some very difficult passages, passages in scripture um, that there were, there is this branch, this olive branch of God's plan of redemption. And, and from beginning to end, God's people are on the branch and some of them are broken off and some of them remain. And from beginning to end in, in the story of the Bible and even now in the new covenant, there are, in the kingdom of God, there are people who are in the visible church that are Christians. And there are people who are in the invisible church that are, are in the visible church that are not Christians. Our children are in that category. Our children are in the visible church. They're in the covenant. That doesn't necessarily mean they're saved, right? And that there is this category of people that are in the church, in the covenant, but may not be regenerate. Um, so that was pretty, um, that was pretty awesome to discover as well. Um, yeah. So then what is the assurance of having your baby baptized? What is the, if it doesn't necessarily mean salvation, then where, where, where does the peace come in? Where's the thing that you're trusting the Lord for? Yeah. So, um, so first of all, I, I want to start by saying it doesn't necessarily mean they're not saved either. So like I, there was, an, that was another thing that I could just be honest with in scripture. Like John the Baptist was born again in his mother's womb. David actually did praise God on his mother's breast, which we know only someone who's born of the spirit can do. And so uh, there are instances in scripture and we should be okay with admitting it because it's clear in scripture there are instances in which children who cannot profess faith in Jesus Christ are saved. That's like, that's there. Um, and so I'm not saying they're necessarily not saved, um, but uh, I think it's presumptuous to say they absolutely are. So where does the peace come in? The peace comes in and the promises that God has given us in scripture of his covenant with us and with our children. So, um, Psalm 103 is a good example of this verses 17 and 18. It says essentially that God extends his righteousness to children's children, to all who love him and keep his commandments to all who fear him and keep his commandments. So basically his righteousness extends his salvation extends to, to us, to our children, to our children's children, to all who love him and keep his commandments. Um, that's a promise. That's just, a flat out promise of scripture. Um, you know, God's promise to Abraham is so clear, right? He calls Abraham as an individual and then he promises godly offspring to Abraham that he will be not only a God to Abraham, but to his, to his children. And it's important to recognize Ishmael went to hell, but God still extended this promise to Abraham and commanded him to give the sign to both Isaac and to Ishmael. So we see in scripture that God promises to be a God to us and to our children and his calling and election. It still stands. That doesn't mean that all of our kids inevitably will be spending eternal eternity with Jesus Christ. What it does mean is that that's the exception. The kids of the children of believers who keep covenant with God. um, The exception are the lost ones, not the rule. The rule is God keeps covenant with us and our children. Um, And the means by which we see our children brought into salvation and bear a fruitful life um, of faith and repentance is by us raising them faithfully in covenant nurture. So 
that's a there's a lot that goes into that, but that's my summary of, of the assurance that we received from these books and what we learned. Yeah. So practically, I mean, Michael and I were talking last night. One of the differences is it looks like not, it doesn't look like pressuring Junior into um, having this conversion experience and you need to repent from your sin, but teaching him every day what life what a life of repentance looks like as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so instead of pushing him to make this decision to be a Christian, it's teaching him what being a Christian looks like, because that is who he is in Christ. And yeah. Yeah. And, and for my Baptist friends who are like, did you just say he's in Christ? (laughs) It's important to recognize that, we say it about people who we don't necessarily know are in Christ all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, um, Sam Harris wrote the book, right? Sex is not the problem. Lust is, you know, he wrote a lot of, of dating books. Uh, he's a complete pagan now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people said Sam, Sam Harris is in, I'm not, it's not Sam Harris. He's an atheist. Who am I thinking of? Josh Harris, Joshua Harris. Josh Harris. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, a different Harris. Yeah, different Harris <laughs> completely. Well, I guess they both actually probably share a lot of the same worldview now. But they do. Um, they do. Josh Harris, yep. right? When I just five years ago, I would have said he's in Christ. Wouldn't have hesitated. Sure. Uh, he in a and we don't get to make the decrees of God, right? We don't know the decrees of the Lord. So when I say, when you say, when we say, our children are in Christ, it's a covenantal standing, not a decretal you know, we're saying he's elect. It's his covenantal standing. Ultimately, so. salvation is is of God. And because right. also Hebrews talks about we we are in a in a better covenant. We're in the new covenant. You know, one of the yeah. things that Molly highlighted early on in talking was this sort of sense of, am I saved? Am I not saved? Growing up in that sense of, you know, what is this? Do I have enough fruit in my life? That was one of the things, you know, growing up in in many of our homes that we did, parents kind of looked and, you know, does so-and-so have fruit in their life? Oh, well, they do, but we're going to hold off baptism for five years, six years, seven years, until we really know that Johnny is a Christian, then we're going to baptize him, as opposed to, whoa, 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 I, I'm being raised in a Christian household, or I, I raised my children in a Christian household, therefore, they are in Christ, and I'm going to baptize my children or babies the youngest age that I can, because we're a Christian home, we're not a pagan home, It's and it really is either you're either in Christ or you're not. So am I going to look at my baby uh, and say, oh, my four-month-old, she's a pagan. She's a Moabite. She's an, she's a, she's an Ammonite. She, you know, no, I, I look at it and I go, this is, this is a Christian baby. Now, she, as you said, needs to learn repentance and to grow in her knowledge of Christ and all of those things. Um, but we look at our children as if we're teaching them the right things to say. Their, their name is Christian now and we want to set up those walls very high for them to not get out of when they're 15 20 years old and say no i was raised in a christian home i don't know a time when i wasn't a christian when i wasn't repenting from the earliest we want to teach our children you're repenting now you're part of you're part of the covenant now and and think about this is another thing that really i had to come to grips with like if I'm not going to say my children are in the church, and if I'm not going to treat them like believers, I'm going to treat them like unbelievers. What unbeliever do I say, you need to be obedient to God's law, but bear no benefits of the covenant? You get none of the benefits of being in Christ, but I'm going to demand obedience of, to, to God's law from you as if you are in Christ. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense. It raises sense a bunch of moralists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what... I was, I was a bad moralist. I was very immoral moralist, but I was even coming into Christ. It was a very performance-based view of myself and relation to God. And um, I think part of that was, you know, I was raised to 
obey God's law, which is wonderful. Of course we should. I would never say that a Baptist should not do that. I'm just saying what, what we had to come to grips with was our theology doesn't really lead to that. Our theology actually would lead to the opposite. Um, that, and, it, and the difference really is, do you raise your children from an evangelistic premise or do you raise your children from the premise of disciple maker, right? Like, are you evangelizing them or are you training them in righteousness? Are you training them in the Christian faith, not to become a part of the Christian faith? Right. Yeah. It's so parallel too to just what we naturally do with our children. When we give them our last name, they're born into this world and they get our name. They don't have to prove that they look like us or they're going to think like us or anything. We, we bring them home. We give them our name. We let them eat at our table. That, that argument was compelling to me as well. Just we will do the same with our faith. We'll give them the name Christian and we'll let them come to the table at church and we'll say, you are in this thing by way of God having chosen us and you yeah. were born to us by God's sovereign plan, by his hand. So, and it's, right. it's a pointing to um, God being the one that originates salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It's, a trust that he's doing this, not the presumption to say like, oh, because we're Christians, they're going to be, it's trusting the Lord that this is how he works with families. This is what he's done. He worked redemption in us. And so he longs to do that in our children as well. Yeah. And we see in our culture, we do it with our sports teams all the time. Like you don't ask your little girl, if she's going to be a blues fan, you put her in the blues jersey and you go watch the game. Right. That's right. <laughs> we are watching the game. That's right. I guess be a better way of saying it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, another really uh, compelling thing that I, another compelling, I guess, illustration of way in looking at it that um, I came across was, you know, we don't tell we don't tell our kids to go out into the world and basically figure it out for themselves and come back and then, you know, claim this faith for themselves. Like no Baptist actually raises their kids that way. They raise them in the church. And a lot of, I think a lot of people share Molly's testimony who are raised in the faith that they don't remember really a time when they didn't call themselves a Christian. I don't see too many five-year-olds of believers running around going, I'm not a Christian yet. I just hope I will be one day. Um, Like all they know is Jesus Christ, if their parents are faithful. And I don't see, I don't see any premise in scripture that would lead us away from that. That would lead us to say, no, you need some other testimony than all you've ever known is Jesus Christ. I I don't see anything like that in scripture. Another thing that I don't see in scripture is what was even done with the second generation of Christians. You know, one of the arguments that was always brought to me uh, when we were going through this transition was give me one example of infant baptism in scripture. And, you know, I, I don't think that household baptisms are even a good argument for the Presbyterians, like, or the Baptists. It's kind of just like the narrative, like households were baptized and I, you, it could be argued either way. You're not going to find an example, a clear example of infant baptism in scripture. You also won't find anything else either. You also won't find a 10-year-old being baptized six years after their profession of faith. Right. You won't (laughs) find it. And so it's not about where is infant baptism in scripture. You have to look elsewhere when we're asking the question, what do we do with our children? Because we actually don't really get the narrative of what they did with their children in the New Testament. What we do know is that Peter told them the promise was to them and their children, just like it was to Abraham. Paul told them their children were set apart. They were holy. They are saints, right? We see all of these household baptisms, uh, and we see numerous verses in the prophecies about the new covenant in the Old Testament that pretty much explicitly tell us that the new covenant, just like the old ones, were to us and to our children. Mm -hmm. Um, So you take all of that together, And I think the Westminster does a just fine job of explaining this. Like it is by very good and very necessary inference that we, we came to this conclusion. Um, And I think the Baptist has to say the same thing, that it is by some sort of necessary or good inference in their minds that they don't baptize their children because they don't see an example of what they do in scripture either. 
Right. So you're saying in your experience, the Baptists that you know actually do raise their children by and large covenantally. They just don't let them have that outward sign. They don't let them really have the security of that. Um, even and, the parents, and the parents don't have that security either. Yeah. Explain that a little bit. The parents are often walking on eggshells daily as to the state of their children. They're just as worried and anxious about that, even though they're being obedient to scripture and raising them more covenantally, they're raising their children as Christians. They don't have the peace and the joy that comes from doing that because of their theology often. Yeah, that's not always true, but there were definitely some examples of that. And this actually leads into something you mentioned at the very beginning, Jesse, that this also taught us to be optimistic and our view of our children and optimistic. Actually, we were led into being optimistic about everything because <laughs> this led us into uh, post-millennialism as well. Um, and so, yeah, I, yeah, parenting by God's promises really does give hope. Like it's not just some sort of false assurance or hopeful thinking. Like it's actually rooted in scripture and therefore we should be optimistic. Mm -hmm. It wasn't our idea to trust God's promises. It was his idea to give them to us and then tell us to trust them um, when it comes to our parenting. Right. I don't think we would naturally come to that conclusion ourselves. We need God to tell us, trust me with your children. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, anything else on your journey you want to highlight as far as your story goes or anything else before we kind of come to a close? Um, so one thing that I am, so one thing I, would, I do want to emphasize, like, it's not like I went from, I'm a Baptist to, oh, now, now I'm a Presbyterian. Let's divide over this. Like, I very much think that this issue, like, I think the scriptures teach infant baptism. But I also think that this led me into a view of the church as well that has been pretty transformative as well. Like the church is a universal body. There is one Lord, there is one faith, and there is one baptism and one God overall. And so um, I, I really believe that um, this issue for centuries has divided the church and I think we need to do a better job as one thing I learned this, we need to do a better job as the church of being uh, one unit, one militant unit on earth doing kingdom work together rather than divided into 15 million denominations uh, because of what we believe about this, that, and the other baptism being one of the primary dividers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But ultimately we would, we would have all people, think like us at this point though yeah definitely. <laughs> I think it's absolutely like yeah i baptize your babies please uh right, right. Uh, but if you don't still come to my church you know and still right uh, let's let's work together you know yeah. let's do that work together and hopefully they end up baptizing their babies anyway. sure <laughs> exactly exactly okay let's do a lightning round feel free to give yes or no replies or just short answers. Um, so let's start with this. Who liked who first in your dating relationship? I think <laughs> I would say Molly liked, well, so Molly had a deeper attachment to me first, for sure. Molly's got a poker face uh, right you now. Saw me, you saw me in the lunch line. I did first. see her in the lunch line and thought, she's spicy. So uh, <laughs> I was the initiator for sure. Uh, but then, yeah, anyway, yeah. Okay. Perfect. How many children do you want to have? At least 26. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. No, we, we are like, this is actually a conversation right now because we were like, let's just have as many as the Lord will give us. Uh, but then from which I still would love, but so we have this family in our church right now with nine with their 10th on the way. And mad respect for them. We were over at their house recently. They did a, like their house is under control. It is fun. It's amazing to watch. I don't know that we're cut out for that. So <laughs> you can take them one at a time. One at a yeah. time. 
Yes. That's right. I think the Lord will make that clear. As optimistic as I am, I don't know if I'm quite that optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Um, God hasn't asked us to do that yet. So we'll see. We'll see right. when that time comes. What book or books are you currently reading right now? Uh, shout out to your pastor. I'm reading the Lord's Service right now uh, by by Jeff Myers. It is an excellent book. Um, I'm also reading the Heidelberg Catechism for the first time. Mm. Uh, so, well, the Confession and the Catechism, uh, which has just really stirred my affections. That's pretty awesome. Uh, go ahead. I just finished Killer Angel which was a oh, yeah. biography on Margaret Sanger. And then I'm partway through Plot Activity by Doug Wilson. Awesome. Killer Angels by George Grant. Yeah. 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 Well, those yeah. Are um, when you guys first met, Molly, what was it that first connected you to Mike? What was the thing that really stood out about him that intrigued you? He, he was humble. Hmm. I knew at that point that the number one characteristic that I wanted in man was humility. And that was something that I quickly picked up on in Michael and his passion for God in the word was very, very clear. Just his willingness to, if this is what scripture says, then who cares the effects on my life? I'm going to do that. And I think that bond is what got us through this last year, ultimately, and us being on the same page when it comes to that. But those two things, his humility and his passion for the word and and following the Lord. Same question to you, Mike, about Molly. Uh, she's really good looking. That was, the, <laughs> that was definitely the initial draw. I was rough around the edges, newly saved. And I was like, I want a Christian girl and I wanted to be I wanted to be really good looking and uh same I was a solid like 3.7 out of 10 and so the fact that Molly was into me was like I'm gonna marry her so (laughs) uh, then yeah that was the initial draw I'm not gonna try to be all spiritual about it (laughs) that's good (laughs) okay so Mike in case the grid goes down or there's a massive snowstorm in your area are you prepared to give a home birth just in case. Oh my. So I <laughs> won't be snow. I want to say <laughs> they're, I in Iowa. they're in Iowa. It could it snow. Just do really soon. It could snow. You okay. never know. <laughs> Go ahead. Keep it. It'd Keep be the end of April. <laughs> if we got snow, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> For some other reason. Any reason. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh well. I want to say nuclear yes. nuclear attack, whatever the grid goes down, <laughs> Facebook goes down. I don't know, whatever. Just red spy balloon, you know, some more spy balloons come in. You can't get out of your house. Are yeah. you ready? <laughs> I I want to say yes because uh, I watched a birthing video and it went really good the first time. Sure. The truthful answer is I think it would be a complete disaster. Uh, <laughs> I the, my boss actually did deliver his wife's baby. Wow. Uh, I don't know when it was, but he was one. like, he makes it sound like it was a cakewalk. Like he just did it. Like he knew what to do, but he had never actually studied what to do. And uh, I don't know if I'm cut out for that, but maybe I'll be like him and just, it's just instinct. I don't know. <laughs> awesome. Are you guys night owls or early birds? Early birds. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. We like, it something changed when we had kids. I was going to say it comes with the territory of living with small people. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Last question. Who is the quickest to apologize? Molly. (laughs) Okay. I think she is a a lot. She says she likes my humility. I, maybe I've actually regressed in this. with. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's way better at that than I am, but we try to, we try to both do our best. Good answers. <laughs> great answers. Well, hey, you two. It's absolutely great having you guys on the podcast and talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, hopefully it was uh, everything you hoped it would be, Jesse. <laughs> it was everything I wanted it to be. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. See ya. See ya. 
Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.